The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for diagnosis or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor, understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. This podcast began with both Pete and I, two kindred souls with a passion for moving the recovery process forward. If you've started listening more recently, say since the beginning of 2022, you likely noticed that Pete is absent from conversations. This is because he had a rather unexpected and abrupt departure from this earthly plane. Pete's voice remains in the intro in reverence to and respect for his part of our joint vision for this project. Simply put, it wouldn't be where it is today, nor have a future without him. Now, on to another great conversation. Welcome to part two of Remedial Vision with Suzanne. We dive deeper into stroke-specific information, and I know you're going to find this valuable. Enjoy. But we haven't even touched base on, on stroke yet. I mean, so that's like another category in itself is is stroke. And that's what Dora was talking about is, are these patients with like neglect and field cuts and depending on where that stroke happened in the brain, where that infarct was depends on how much of a field cut, where is that field cut versus a neglect. And then the neglect is where you don't know that there's something, it's more of a perception, like you don't understand that there's something on that left side and I say left because it's typically on that left side and you just assume that everything is now more of a a smaller picture that you see but you don't realize that you're looking at a smaller picture so it's more of a perception thing Mm -hmm. where a field cut is you have the understanding you can't see one side or one part of it and um and those people with a field cut, we, you can teach that compensation part a little bit easier than the the ones with the neglect. Yeah. When there's a neglect plus a field cut, that's even more challenging. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a flaccid arm. So you don't have yeah. any feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a tough, tough one. That is. Yeah. yeah. And you did say typically on the left and just so people know that it can happen on the right side too. It's less common, but right. It can show up. Very true. Yep. Very true. Yeah. So functionally, if you have a field cut or if you have, you know, a neglect, it's going to be really tough for you to get back in that car and drive again. It's going to be hard for you to meet, possibly eat on your food, on everything on your plate, or even see where your silverware is sitting or see something sitting beside you and you move your arm and you knock something over. Um, you're going to have a hard time. And it, it all depends on your age. Like if you're used to playing sports or playing catch with your kid or all of those things, you're going to have a really hard time doing that. I see it a lot of times in clients um, when they're not, they neglect an area to shave on the left side. That usually kind of gives me a hint of, hey, why didn't you shave over here? Did you, are you sporting a new beard or what's going on? And um, a lot of times they just, they simply don't, the brain isn't picking up on it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. 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 That is kind of a true tale. Yeah. You know, it's interesting on the setting that you work in and how you identify it. So I worked in the critical care unit or in the acute care area and just watching people start to walk towards a doorway and bump into the doorway or a garbage can that was sitting too far out in the hallway and they didn't, they didn't even realize it was there. Right. Mm-hmm. Or those people that come in and their focus is at the floor because mm. oh, they can't handle all this visual stimulation mm-hmm. happening around them. Yes. Or the people that come in and they're very rigid and stiff because they can't move their head left and right because it'll send off all their symptoms. So yeah, mm-hmm. posture and how people carry themselves are, are big signs of what's going on. You get pretty good at reading people's body language. You do. And that's when people start to think that you're magic. You're ma- <laughs> a magician or you're some kind of a, a special skill reader. And it's really right. just reading the, the body. Right. You know, and understanding reasons for that based on this, on your knowledge and the settings that you work in. Right. Yeah, very true. Can you imagine the relief, though, that somebody must feel when you ask about that and it's being acknowledged that and then there's so many times that I say you know I'm noticing that they're that they'll sit and then they'll turn their head and they'll talk with me with their head turned I'm like are you seeing double like how did you know well I'm like well (laughs) because your head's turned the whole time I'm like sit with your and face forward and then they're like yeah that doesn't feel comfortable and so they'll and so I you know that's that's once side and then or I'll ask are you bumping into a into the wall and I had one patient the other day say no I'm fine I don't know why even yeah I'm just fine and she came back to me the next time and she says you know I had a conversation with my sister and I was talking to her about the appointment I had with you and the questions you were asking me and I kept saying no and she kept saying yes you do yes you do like some people just don't understand that 
that's not normal anymore, you know, because I don't see everybody immediately after an injury. Some people have had a concussion and they've dealt with their vision stuff for years and they've just tried to compensate and work with it on their own. And, and they don't realize how hard their life has been. <laughs> yes. I just had a client with a TBI. She's been living with a TBI, I think, for seven years now. And um, we assessed her for driving. And I asked her if she had double vision or any visual deficits. And of course, she doesn't. And I started becoming suspicious when I saw her head was constantly tilted back a little bit. Yeah. So I asked her to keep the head straight. And she goes, what did you just do? I have double vision now. So, you know, we had to tell her, sorry, you just found the, the sweet spot. You won't be able to drive with your head kicked back. <laughs> right. It's, it's just wild to me how, how our bodies ad adapt to these deficits. I mean, our body is smart, obviously. But um, yeah, and how it affects everything around us and how we interact with the environment. It's just mind blowing. It is. And there are some people that live with deficits, but they've compensated for so long. And the minute they have their, their injury, their head injury, they can't compensate for that anymore. And not that I can, I know these people for sure, but there's sometimes when people come in and I wonder because how they've lived their life before. And I'll ask them, you know, questions. Have you done this in the past? Have you done this in the past? You know, and talking to the family, you start to kind of pull things out and you realize, you know, you probably had some issues beforehand and you didn't know it and you were just compensating. And now you don't have any ability to compensate anymore. You've lost that ability. And that's why we're, you're seeing such a huge change too. I think it'd be really interesting to do, um, kind of get like this nationwide study that you, that, and, and may, maybe we can do it because we have all the information from people that are going through, they're getting an eye test in elementary, right? So they have an eye test, a basic eye test, and they, and it should be test. And it, are they testing binocular vision too? I wonder if they're testing binocular vision when like the, they're getting tested for in elementary school. I think it'd be really interesting though, to, be able to test for that binocular vision stuff. And then once you get a TBI or a head injury or stroke, like have that information, be able to pull it up in some sort of database and say, hey, look, you were already kind of on the line with this. And now with a head injury, you're, I, I, would, I think that would be kind of an interesting correlation to make. But that would be, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, you wrote about in that lovely document that you sent us. <laughs> and I'm sure you read it page to page. <laughs> I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, look, at, I did not print it you. out, though. <laughs> and there's no yeah. marks or highlights or edits on there. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, it's pencil. Oh, it's, it's on here, but it's not edits. <laughs> right here. That's, oh, the yeah. There's been a few edits since you've gotten that copy. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, one of the things that popped out at me that I loved are the eight principles of neuroplasticity. Yes. Uh, I, I wonder if we should talk about that because, I mean, this is a podcast that folks focuses on uh, brain injury recovery. I got to find yeah. it though. What do you want to talk about with that? What, what it is? Because... I want to talk about what they are. 
Because okay. I just, I think it's fascinating. I never get tired of talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just okay. laughing because I feel the same way. <laughs> Why am I not finding it? Why is it not? I have too many words typed in here. What's going on? It's on page nine or 10, depending on which vision, which version you got. Oh, there it is. It's highlighted in yellow on mine. I love these. So the eight principles of neuroplasticity as identified by White and Voss. Is that correct? White and Voss. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, use it or lose it. Followed by use it and improve it. So use um, improving your function. Mm -hmm. Specificity. Repetition matters. Where have we heard that before? Right. <laughs> 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 no idea. <laughs> Intensity matters. Hmm. hmm. Where have we heard that before? Hmm. Salience matters. And yes, hmm. we've heard that before. Transference and interference. So when I read specificity, I start thinking about like, we want to do specific interventions like specific tasks am i thinking about that the right way or yes okay I, I that's how i would and if you want to put it towards remedial vision stuff yeah you're going to if if you need eye alignment to improve well then you need to do eye alignment activities um that encourage eye alignment stuff right yeah mm -hmm. i think that's if you're looking at somebody's arm specific Specificity would be more of if you want to improve your eating, well, then you need to work on your elbow flexion and your grip and, you know, all those components mm -hmm. to allow you to move and you're, you're being very specific in that movement pattern. Mm -hmm. Does that, is that how you would think of it? That's how I'm thinking of it. Doro. Yeah, I yeah. agree. That's how I thought of it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, transference, <clears throat> like being able to generalize the movements, the motions to other activities and tasks that require those same movements and motions. Right. Would transference, would you think of it also as you need it? Not just in the clinic, but you need it at home, like your exercise program. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think about that in terms of like a constraint-induced therapy program, mm -hmm. which I know the eyes don't work the same because those visual pathways cross over and some stay on the same side. And But if we... you have a weak eye, if you have an eye that wants to suppress, I will patch Okay. The one that doesn't want to suppress. So I'm, I'm really doing constraint-induced therapy for yeah, your eyes. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So that's something we haven't talked about is the eye patch. And a lot of people get the eye patch. I don't like the eye patch for us about somebody who does, who has, I mean, it is. So there's a love-hate relationship there. I mean, there's a, there's definitely a reason for it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and there's definitely good things about it. Um, 
And if you go to the emergency room and you say, I have an eye patch and they, or I have a double vision and they give you an eye patch. Yeah. Use it, but don't keep the eye patch on mm-hmm. all the time, right? Go see your neuro optometrist, go see somebody who knows what they're doing with vision because you don't want to s- use that eye patch for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I, I don't want somebody to think that an eye patch is going to cure double vision because that's essentially you're not helping your brain regain that neuromotor control. You're just allowing it to compensate and just use one eye and forget about the other eye. So So. do you appreciate a more graded approach with the eye patch? I know people who wear glasses sometimes, you know, we would tape that and then just gradually um, remove some of the tape so that the eye had to start. Yeah. And I do eye patching. I do like binasal taping and, and there's, there's a place for everything. Right. I just hate to have somebody say, Hey, look, I can now see single if I put an eye patch on. So I'm going to do that. So, and I've had patients go home and happen to slip into conversation. Oh, when I watch TV, I just put the eye patch on because it's easier. I'm like, stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, I can understand it if somebody gets nauseous and vomits yep. with it. That Oh, you know, absolutely. I yep. totally understand that. Yep. But, even- but the, whole po- the whole point about that remedial vision, though, is that we're training your brain to use both eyes. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody doesn't have that ability or doesn't have somebody to help them through that training of, of how to get that neuromuscular control back, yeah. then I can understand where, yeah, you, an mm-hmm. eye patch is going to help them be functional and help them see single. And, you know, it's, there's reasons for it. I just, um, I just hope that my patients can, after I'm training them how to do it, that they, they won't need that eye patch for, for double vision. Mm-hmm. That they need that. I, some people, when they get super fatigued, we'll take it out and put it on. And and so, you know, you got to do what you got to do to live life at some point. Right. Yes. I just don't want that to be like the, the permanent crutch. And and like I said, there are other reasons to use an eye patch. It's just, I'm thinking of my scope of thought. (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, helping people to understand that and, and think through what, what are their goals for recovery? Right. You know, and I really hope that people who struggle with those things know that we understand the struggle. You know, we just want to help them meet their goals so that they can return to a, a life where they're doing the things that are important to them, you know, where they're enjoying some life. Yeah. It, and it's amazing how at first, if you feel any pushback from patients, but you just encourage them to try and then they start seeing progress or they start seeing, Hey, this has gotten easier. Are they, and sometimes they might not even understand that until you retest them again. And you're like, look at that, look at what you can do now. And then they're like, Oh, now that you say that I can now read for 10 minutes versus two. And I, you know, that sort of thing, you know, that's a big deal, especially to somebody who highly values reading. Right. Or somebody who has to sit in front of a computer or, you know, whatever their work challenge is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that it it can be a vision problem if they don't, if they don't enjoy reading anymore after a stroke or a brain injury, they don't, 
you know, they just think that they don't understand it, but they don't, I don't think they, God, I'm like fumbling over my words right now. I'm going to start that over again. (laughs) No, we're going to keep that in. Uh, God, no. (laughs) So they get tired or now I forgot what I was going to say. So they get to, oh, they can't focus on reading. And a lot of people don't realize that that could be a higher level vision problem that they're experiencing. Right, right. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's um, left, right discrepancies that they're having a hard time with, or, you know, there's so many mm-hmm. of that higher level stuff that, yeah, that really does wreak havoc with reading and near vision tasks and, and things. And um, when you think about the use of our phone, everybody's got their head buried in the phone. And, and that's really when people start realizing that, Ooh, I've got a vision problem because they can't work their phone like they used to, or it causes them to be sick to scroll through the pictures or, you know, their media stuff. Yeah. So anyway, salience matters. That's another thing that, um, that we always try to incorporate. The more that you can get the patients doing an activity that they recognize is significant to them, and like to get back to work or get back to driving, um, then that really does make a difference for the motivation. So like if I, the sooner I introduce the salient um, activity, it's, it's amazing how much more motivated somebody, somebody gets. Isn't that something? Yeah. (laughs) So so I was looking up interference because I wasn't quite sure how to talk about that. And I, there's this website that I found, uh, neuroskills.com. I have found them for the Rancho Los Amigos levels. And, um, I share that a lot of times on the brain, in the brain injury support groups that I'm in on Facebook, because a lot of people don't understand what, what people go through and the TBI recovery process, but they also have some very good information on here about interference. And they say that it's so interference plasticity in response to one training experience can impede acquisition of similar behaviors. When patients are actually able to come in for neurological treatment and that treatment is delayed, they often come in with compensatory behaviors for skill deficits, having already learned a different way. Hence that eye patch. Yes, exactly. Makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how many times have we had people come in that could have probably used the arm that was affected after their stroke, but it was just easier to do it the other way. And then that just got to be the stronger behavior or stronger pattern of movement. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. So it's almost like a learned non-use. Yes. Just like in the upper extremity. Yeah. So learn non-use of the eye or vision. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Right. So interesting. I'm still stuck on the the kinesthetic awareness. I had no idea you can even have kinesthetic awareness of the eyes. When you said you ask your clients how that feels, I'm just trying to picture my clients because many times they cannot feel their arm. They cannot tap into that 
kinesthetic awareness so i can just i can't even imagine how hard it would be to train the eyes and to get somebody to tap into that feeling and understanding yeah we use a mirror or something for visual feedback to show them it's like look one eye is here one eye is there then again, they probably wouldn't be able to see it really they, good. Yeah. And then their fixation point would be in the wrong spot. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so that is kind of like, hard. Oh, darn, it works for the arm so good. <laughs> right. <laughs> you put the mirror up between your nose, right? I know. I know. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if there is. I want to make sure that I'm kind of touching everything that we were going to talk about and I'm not going to get off this call. I know. (laughs) Another note I made was about optical devices. Did we talk about everything? We talked about prisms. Yeah. Optical devices, you mean like as far as what a patient can... as far as like an optical, <clears throat> optometric devices, those come from the optometrist, which would be your prescription glasses or prisms of any sort. Um, that would come from your optometrist. If you're talking like devices that I use for treatment, then um, I showed you the ocular motor assessment tool device that I use for screening. I use vectograms, I use tranoglyphs, I use, you know, I use a plethora of of things. Um, I think the reference in the paper that you sent us had to do with using devices in combination with the remedial vision techniques. So under the direction of the optometrist and collaboratively with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's exactly right. And I do have flippers that have got different um, like plus one, negative one flippers. And when I use those flippers, I'm using them to engage. What's that? She's laughing at me. (laughs) Well, all I can think about are flippers that you would put on your feet for swimming. I'm pretty sure this (laughs) (laughs) is not the dolphin. (laughs) So they look like opera glasses. Oh, oh. And on one side, you have plus one. And on the other side, you have negative one. Um, So it's like you have like readers and then the opposite effect of readers, which would um, be for distance. So um, I have the ability to flip those upper glasses from one to the other extreme. And that I would could be work. I would work on accommodation along with virgin. So I've got. I've got that that I can use, but that's not a prescribable. That's more of how do I work that um, that efficiency of the eye within an activity. Yeah. So that's how I could use that, but I wouldn't be able to prescribe anything. No, that's the thing that people need to understand that occupational therapists cannot do that right yeah right and I'm and I you know 
I love the fact that I, I, I want to have that neurooptometrist on board because their, their knowledge and in their perspective is a little bit different than mine. And it's always good to get their perspective on, on things too. So I really do enjoy um, building that relationship with the, with those neurooptometrists. Yeah. That's really cool how you did that too. You just kind of invited yourself in. It's <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I really didn't give him much of a choice. I said, um, I'm seeing your patient and I want to know how to help them. And so <laughs> I was kind of always started it. Um, turned out to be a, a great relationship. So it worked, it worked in my favor for sure. And there is um, every now and then I'll call an eye doctor and I'll say, Hey, this is, this is what I do with my patients. I now have one of your patients. What do you think? Well, you know, what do you think would be the, the best? And they're like, I didn't know OTs could do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was anybody here in town that did that. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to say, yeah, I can. And I want to work with you and let's, let's build that relationship. It is kind of fun. You know, a lot of times I hear people feel stuck in their career path and they're not sure what to do. Community education yeah, is a great place to start, especially if people want to improve their public speaking abilities, if they want to increase their network, their professional network. I mean, it's such a great way to bring people together and help people understand what you do. And then it offer for them to explain to you what they do and, you know, start thinking about collaboration. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Collaboration is a huge buzzword right now It is in our professions. We were just talking in class today about um, collaborating with social workers and other mental health professionals that do counseling and how OT could help support the carryover and follow through of um, different strategies that people are given to help, you know, f- help them feel better. I mean, it's, we do a lot. Yeah. And I, we, we do do a lot and, and not that we're expected to know it all either. Right. No. Like I, I always want to make sure that when I have a student with me that I make sure that they know that I don't, I don't expect them to know it all. I don't know it all. And mm-hmm. I just need to know the source that does exactly. know whatever I need to know. And that, and that in itself took me years to admit that I didn't know it all. <laughs> and, and, and you need to have that humility within your profession that you don't know it all. And isn't it great to work with people that know more than you so you can use them as a source? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I did home health and I realized that I'm not a home health kind of a person. I'm more of a, I have to be around people and I need to bounce ideas off of people and I need to kind of problem solve. Hey, this person came in. I don't know. What do you think of this? And this, I saw this and this, and do you, what do you think of this treatment? You know, I love bouncing ideas off of people and PTs and, and speech therapists and yeah, I, I respect everybody for what they can bring to the whole patient you know, the, the care of the whole patient. Yeah. Um, gosh, I had another thought had keyword here. Um, oh, 
you know, I, I guess on the opposite side of that is having a niche that you specialize in, mm-hmm. you know, a, a specialty practice area. And some people shy away from that too, thinking that if you niche down that you're not going to be able to help as many people, but you actually are, you're likely helping more people because a lot of people fall through the cracks. Like Doro, you're helping people improve motor recovery. Suzanne, you are too. And you're helping people with the vision component. Like all of those, those specialty areas, the driving, they're things that people wouldn't get if you didn't do that. Because oftentimes as a generalist, people aren't sure what to do. Yeah. And it's amazing how, when you get started doing something and then you start getting this inflow of people and then it gets, your caseload starts expanding and you realize, wait, now I'm just seeing vision. And there's a lot of just vision to see. And there, and there's, I work with another OT and she does a little bit of vision too, but it's amazing how, how you, how I'm realizing that there's a lot of vision people that are coming in now that we didn't have before. So there's, there's a need in the community to have that niche. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I'm sure like Dora even experiences that with her, with your driving, like that's, there's a huge need in that community to have that specialty. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and it's on all levels. It's the new drivers. It's the people that yeah. used to drive the prior drivers that now have an injury. It's the elderly that have driven forever and they just go through age related changes. And it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. same thing. And one, one thing, whatever that one thing is, it impacts other things. So if you can figure out one problem for right. somebody, many other areas of their life will improve. Right. Yep. That's where I have to think back about the quote that you shared with us, vision leads. Yeah. Like start with the vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep that in mind. Yeah. I wish I could coin that, but it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> we can still make a t-shirt out of it. <laughs> there you go. Add it to the collection. <laughs> That's right. So, so if somebody is wanting to and this is a point I wanted to make sure that um, if somebody wants to find a neurooptometrist or an optometrist that is specializing in those neuro patients, to look up neurovisionrehab.org. And then um, another one would be COVD, not COVID, but COVD.org. Those would be two websites that you can go to see if there's anybody that is in your area that is specializing. Now, I I do know of a few optometrists that aren't on those websites, but yet their experience is more like a behavioral neuro optometrist. Like they still do kind of the same thing. Um, They just probably haven't paid for the fellowship of and getting on that website. Yeah. So I guess you have to learn how to not be shy and, and get curious about other providers in your area. Yes. A lot of reaching out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just, and it's amazing if you just ask for help, how many people are willing to help you? You know, like I have a question about this patient and I, I don't know what to do. What do you think? And, you know, and that can great, get a great conversation going. Yeah. Ask for help. There's 
something we don't always think to do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just uh, as professionals, we, we kind of have to come across to our patients that we know everything, <laughs> that we're experts in the, at everything. Right. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of patients teach me stuff if I let them. Oh my goodness. Yes. One of the best parts about being a therapist. So I think we, we talked about all of my notes. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. So the big difference between remedial vision and low vision then would be low vision works with patients that have um, eye health issues like macular degeneration, um, anything that's causing low vision like um, glaucoma, um, diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, um, retinal detachments. I mean, something that's interfering with eye health. So you're teaching them a lot of compensation techniques where remedial vision is that we're retraining the brain and retraining that neuromuscular control. And yes, there is compensation that can go along with it. Absolutely. As, as needed, but that's not going to be my first, my first go-to. It's going to be, let's try to get you to be as efficient, as efficient as possible with your neuromuscular control. So I, I guess I just wanted to kind of point that out to anybody that it thinks that the specialties are the same because they're not because okay. low vision is a whole different specialty. Yeah. And I, we have amazing low vision therapists in, in town that I refer a lot of people to also. Yep. Okay. Yeah, definitely different needs. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe there is one thing that we didn't cover. And that is intensity and how, how intense we can be and how soon following um, an injury. Because there is always that concern about creating more damage and doing harm if we do too much too soon. It probably depends on the doctor you talk to. Okay. I think there's some varying... Um, Thoughts on that? Typically, um, you know, as as a general guide, maybe maybe give it a week, and you, but but again, you it also has to do with symptoms. How much can you do before those symptoms come up? And I don't want somebody to they come in and I'll ask them where your baseline is. Where's your headache? What number is your headache? What number is your dizziness? What number is your nausea? What number is your fogginess? And then. Tell me when that number goes above two, mm. two levels above where you started. And that's kind of where I mm. keep my patients at. And, and what that does also is kind of helps keep that autonomic nervous system from spiraling out of control. Okay. It keeps them regulated. It keeps them understanding where am I with my sy- symptoms? Because some people can really like, whoo, it went up to a six and and now I'm miserable and I can't function for the next day or whatever. So part of what I do is just teach them how to pay attention to their symptoms and know where you are at starting. And, and that'll be a question of like, where you are now, where are you now after an activity that we do? Where are you now? Have you gone up two levels? 
if you have, and I teach that mindfulness, that mindful breathing that, and get them back down. So they're centered again, back down to baseline. And all of that, that really does help keep that nervous system from spiraling out of control and teaches them how to regulate their symptoms and, and just be aware of it. So then they can function. And if it means that more frequent breaks, fine, but at least you're not sending yourself out of commission in and not able to do something because you didn't realize that you were working your way up and levels. And then now all of a sudden you can no longer function and you have to go lay down and take a nap. Yeah. That but that's how section. I handle it. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know how anybody idea. else does. Yeah. It's important because sometimes people get like, they just want to charge through and get better. And they don't realize that that doesn't always help you get better. And why is it that it seems to be those 20-year-old boys <laughs> that just yeah. keep pushing through, right? Like, doesn't matter. I'll just do it faster, harder, and it, it'll work, you know? Well, they've and got maybe a life they, to live. Right. Come on. And maybe for their first concussion, that's fine. And, you know, it'll work the first concussion, but the second one or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's not as easy to recover from. <laughs> yes. Truth. Yeah. Well, this was amazing. Well, thanks for letting me talk because I could talk about this forever, which is kind of um, <laughs> annoying to the everybody that's around me, like my family. They're like, really, vision stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly they don't, they don't understand. They're missing something here. Right. And there's so many vision puns I can come up with that I really try to keep it like not <laughs> give you all my dad jokes today. <laughs> Well, you should give us one. <laughs> oh, you know, just like in conversation, like you got to focus on the, like, I find myself oh. telling my patients, you know, you need to focus. And they're like, I can't because you just told me my eyes are blurry. You know, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there's so many things that I, I catch myself saying that I'm like, oh yeah, another vision joke. Oh yeah. That's another. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I could listen forever and Thank learn you. and learn and learn. Yeah. Thank well, you. So much I'm on stuff. over and I'll, I'll love to show you too. So, oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out. I love to talk about vision stuff. So if I can't help, maybe I can refer to somebody who can. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It was a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and, spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified.